Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome, my minister, Ginger London. Thank you so much for joining me uh, today. And today is a very special show. We're going to do a throwback Thursday uh, show uh, on relationships that won't work. This is from an audio series that I uh, taught a while back, a couple of years ago, a few years ago. And um, I think it is still relevant today. And it was ne- it's never been shared on uh, the Ginger London Show here. So I wanted to play the uh, audio for you uh, and come back and talk a little bit about it after you listen to it. So uh, I hope you're blessed by this. I know your lives will be uh, empowered and um, uh, uh, influenced for change. And so uh, listen to this, and then I'll come back on the other side of Relationships That Won't Work, Part 1. A conference host for the Maximizing 22 Days of Ministry, Life, and Business for the Gotta Get Myself Together 2014 uh, Summer Teleconference. I want to thank you for joining me on this morning. Uh, I'm excited that you are here. We're um, in the home stretch, if you will, of the uh, teleconference. Uh, uh, we've already done um, maximizing um, ministry, business, and careers, and now we're into ma- uh, maximizing life strategies. And so for the last few calls, we've been dealing with relationships. And so we have a couple of more calls on relationships, and then we're going to finish it on out um, strong with um, topics on um, self-improvement and personal development because it's all about getting yourself together in every area of life. And so if you are um, struggling in any areas, we hope and pray that during the last, uh, over the course of these 22 days, that we actually um, zero in on an area that you actually need help with. And so we're going to go ahead and get started with the call on this morning, and that's like relationships. So for the two calls for today, we're going to be doing the types of relationships that won't work in part, uh, part one and part two. Part one, which is um, this morning's call, I'm going to teach you about the patterns or the types of love affairs or love relationships that are destined to fail from the start. So we're going to talk about relationships where uh, one partner is more cares more about um, um, the partner than the other one does, or if you're in a relationship where uh, your part you're in love with your partner's potential, you know different things like that. And so we're going to learn how to discern these types of relationships and um, how to help you make better choices in relationships. And sometimes. People are in these relationships and they really don't understand or know, you know, um, why they are choosing the the people that they're choosing and why they're behaving or emotionally attached or disattached um, in a relationship. And so we're going to look at those um, those reasons. So let's go ahead this morning and get started with um, prayer, and we're going to get right into it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We bless you, uh, Lord God. We honor your name on this morning. We know, Holy Spirit, that you are the great teacher, so I decrease as you increase. I pray, Father God, for strength that my voice will hold out during this teaching. I pray for those who are hearing 
Father God, that they will hear and become doers of what they learned today. And if they're interceding on behalf of someone else, that, Father, that they would have the necessary information to empower a loved one, a friend, a coworker, um, to make better choices in their relationships and to make sound decisions about relationships they're already in. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So good morning. Thank you once again. I am Minister Ginger London, and I am your teleconference host. And so we're going to get right into uh, the types of relationships that won't work. And we're going to start it off with, um, and I'm going to talk to you just like I'm talking to a friend, and you're my friend that's going to possibly be uh, found in one of these different uh, scenarios. But when I say you, I'm talking to anybody that actually fits this uh, particular category. And so the first type of relationship that um, won't work is one where you care more about your partner than he does about you, and he meaning fellow, uh, female or male. Um, so you're in a relationship with where you care more about the person than the person cares about you. And so usually what happens is when you're in those relationships, you you know you know the feeling you're in love. You're not um, sure how he or she feels about you. Uh, you think the two of you could be perfect together, uh, but it doesn't seem to be that excited, that he or she doesn't seem to be that excited about the relationship. Um, thinking about the person, you know, when you're apart for, from them, but he or she seems to, to be just fine when they're not with you. Um, so basically when you look at that, what does it all mean? It means that you're in a relationship that's not working. You so, And a lot of times in love relationships or romantic relationships, there are going to be moments or days where um, you may be a little bit more into the relationship than the other person. But those days always exchange. Um, there's an exchange in those uh, days and those feelings. One day you um, are thinking more about it or you're more involved in the relationship than he or she is, and then there will come days when he or she is more involved than you are. That's a healthy type um, relationship. However, a relationship that is not healthy um, is when one person is the emotional pursuer most of most of the time or all of the time in the relationship, and that's when the relationship is out of balance, and therefore it won't work. You both have to be mutually emotionally um, connected and committed um, to the relationship. So how do you tell if you're not being loved enough? There are some warning signs that you may be in a relationship in which you're not loving your, in which you're loving your partner more than you're being loved. And so I'm going to give you maybe uh, just a couple of them, maybe about six. Number one, um, you're usually the one who reaches out first to be um, affectionate physically. So in other words, what that means is you, you're the one that reaches out to hold hands. You're the one that wants to um, give a hug all the time. You're the one that wants to kiss, you know, greet with a kiss. You're the person that's physically reaching out some for some type of emo, physical or physical attachment or acknowledgement. You're trying to hold his hand and he pulls it back. Or you reach out for her hand and she, you know, kind of subtly pulls it back because she doesn't want to hold hands. She doesn't want uh, to be emotionally connected to the relationship. Number two, you go out of your way to be with him or her or do things for for the person, but your partner rarely goes out, rarely goes out of his or her way to do anything for you. Now, if you've ever, if you, um, ever had relationships over the course of your life, you know, dating, um, even in some marriages, 
you have you it it can be a situation where you go out of your way uh to be with that person you know sometimes you cancel maybe cancel lunch date with your friends or you know you put off something that you, you put off going to something that even your family uh may be having because you want to be with that person but when it's time to be with you that person doesn't show the same um consideration they go to their family functions they go to the the work functions they uh, go take care of um, anything that, that is important to them. They will not go out of their way to be with you. But you go out of your way to be with, with that person. Number three, in the beginning of the relationship, you told your family about your about your partner before he told uh, his family about you or before she told her family about you. That's a warning sign. That's a red flag. That's a big red flag. You know, you're telling somebody. You're telling your family about somebody, and then you find out later or somewhere in the course of all of this that the person never even mentioned you to his family, his brother, his sisters, her family doesn't know anything about you. Uh, you're never invited to uh, Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner, Fourth uh, of July cookout. You know, they have never said to anyone in their family that they're dating you. That is a big red flag. That relationship is not going to work. There's a reason why uh, the person has never told their family members that they're um, uh, their family that they're, it could be that they're involved in another relationship with someone and can't tell the family about you because there's going to be a, a a clash. You might meet up at one of the family functions. Could be that the person, um, um, let's say you're dating, and it could it could be that um, the person is is married and, and, and taken off his ring, taken off our ring. And, you know, has never told you that they're married. And so they can't take you to the family because that would expose what's going on. Or it simply could be they are emotionally not connected. They're not pursuing the relationship emotionally. So there's no reason for them to them to tell anybody in their family about you because they don't feel like they're emotionally connected to you. They don't want to be emotionally connected. So they don't tell anybody about you. Sometimes people have a tendency they rush, they tell their family members, their best friends about people that they've met and they start talking all the time about this person and then come to find out later that no the person is not talking about you and then you're devastated because now your mind is really racing and running trying to figure out well why haven't you? So and then you're asking that person and before you know it a heated argument um has evolved because you're trying to find out why haven't you said something to your family about dating me? All right. Um, number four, um, you are the one who makes most of the plans to do things together, like going to restaurants, you know, weekend outings, you know, um, um, having a, like a romantic evening. You go to dinner, candlelight dinner or things like that. And the other person seems to just go along, you know, without showing a lot of enthusiasm about it. You know, they're not excited about your ideas. They're not even really excited about participating in it. Um, there are some... Um, relationship issues that I've known about where the person went through all of that and the other person canceled the same day of, you know. So they are not enthusiastic about being emotionally connected to the relationship that they're in with you. And it's it's unfortunate, but you have to pay attention to these relationship signs because if you do, it will minimize the number of emotional pains, if you will, that you will experience in relationships. You will just pay attention to the red flags. You know, sometimes they show right up, and then sometimes they're 30 days later showing up. But it doesn't matter when they show up. When you see that red flag, if you're not sure, get some help. Ask somebody. 
say, listen, this is what what, what has been going on. I want you to tell me what is it that you think or if I'm oh, um, being too emotional about what I'm saying. All right. Number um, five, on special occasions, your gifts to your partner are well thought out and it's personal, while his or hers seem last minute and impersonal. For Christmas, you go way out for the person. You you know, you go and you buy um, an expensive um, watch for him or for her. You don't put some thought into it. You've saved for it because you know what? They've been mentioning that they want this particular brand of watch, a, per, uh, a particular style. Um, by this designer, and you go out and you go, you find out what's how much it costs, you know, all of this type of stuff. You may even have put the thing on layaway. You went, you went way out to get it, and then on Christmas Day, they show up and they give you something, and you can look at it and tell that this was a last minute gift. I paid two hundred, two hundred and something bucks for a watch, and here you come with seven ninety nine earrings. You know that it's a last-minute gift. You can look at it and tell. You know when some thought has been put into it because usually when there's thought put into a gift or something special for you, um, it's more to it than just the gift. It's going to be a nice card. It may be um, a dinner involved with it, or it may um, have soft music playing in the background. That person is going to be creative. They're going to go out of their way to think about how they can really bless your life. When there's no enthusiasm uh, about what you're doing and and um, whatever gifts they give you are impersonal, that means that they're not emotionally connected to the relationship. And then the last one for this one, um, when you talk about your relationship to your and your future together um, and how you feel about one another, the person becomes uncomfortable and unresponsive or they change the subject. Another red flag. Bump that up to number uh, two. You know, when they don't tell anybody about you, and then when you are, you know, talking about the relationship, they don't want to respond or they disconnect or they shut the conversation down, red flag. That person is not trying to go anywhere with you. You know, there are times when um, people may jump the gun in a relationship, if you will, or they're moving too fast. Even in that scenario, the other person is going to say, hey, you know, I really like being with you. I really like our time together, but I think we need to just keep it kind of slow, you know, um, kind of not rush into things. Let's take this thing one day at a time. Let's talk about it periodically, make sure we're on the same um, uh, pattern and traveling along the same uh, journey together. That's a little different than somebody who cold turkey just completely shuts the conversation down or who becomes unresponsive in the conversation. They don't make any comments. They don't do anything. They just say, oh, we'll see, you know, and walk off, you know, or say, well, you know, I got something I got to go do. Let me, uh, let me get back with you, you know. Um, so in those, uh, in that relationship, it's just really emotionally dangerous when you've gone four or five weeks ahead of someone looking into the future, thinking about well, how it could be with each other, and that person has never even left ground zero day one with you. The day they met you is where they are. You know, they've never become emotionally connected to the relationship. So um, it's not good to be in that type of relationship. And here's some reasons why you should not settle for loving um, your partner more than you are being loved in the relationship. Okay, um, sometimes what happens is you uh, end up feeling controlled uh, by your partner. You know, like their emotion, their lack of emotions, uh, their lack of uh 
responsiveness in the um, relationship. You start feeling um, control. You start ended up feeling hungry for love because they're not connected to you. And so you're hungry for it. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself doing any and everything, trying to get their attention. You know, you'll before you'll start engaging in um, practices or um, behaviors, lifestyle behaviors that you would have never engaged in because you're hungry. You're, you, you know, you're feeling hungry for their love. And they're saying, I don't want to feed that hunger. I don't want you even hungry for any love from me because I'm not emotionally attached to you. All right. And then if you're not careful, you're going to end up feeling angry. You're going to feel angry because you're going to feel like you have been cheated in the relationship and you're going to start feeling miserable in the relationship. You're going to feel angry because you're going to feel cheated and you're going to feel miserable. I'm the only one that's involved in this relationship. I'm the only one that cares about this relationship. You know, why don't you care more caring in the relationship? You know, why don't you why don't you give me the same type of love that I'm showing to you? You know, and you're going to try to rationalize it with the person and they're not going to respond because they don't want to be emotionally connected. So don't fall into the trap of being um, in this type of relationship, and if you are in this type of relationship, don't make excuses for your partner about why he or she doesn't or can't love you the way that you want to be loved. This relationship is not going to work. You have to, I mean, he's saying it, make tough decisions. You have to choose, you have to make some, make some, uh, choose um, uh, the choices that are best for your life, and sometimes it's hard to make those good choices. It's hard to make those godly choices because of all of the emotion and time that you put into this relationship. And, and, and you really need to do a self-examination because you may be choosing these types of relationships because of stuff that went on in your childhood. Maybe you have low self-esteem and you're punishing yourself. You know, you're acting out um, something that maybe you saw uh, with um, your parents, you know, maybe one of your parents uh, was always pursuing the other one. You know, for example, maybe your mom was always pursuing your father and he, you know, uh, wasn't responding, you know. And so you think growing up as a child that that's normal, that's the way you're supposed to do it. In any of these types of uh, relationships I described, you could always go back to something in your childhood or experience uh, growing up because, believe it or not, when we're growing up, when we were children and we were growing up, those were our foundational years, our developmental years. So basically, whatever happened in those foundational years, we become, you know, attached, uh, attached themselves to us, and we also became attached to whatever we saw. And it's not until we become adults and we purposefully re-educate ourselves, you know, change our mindsets, change the way we think, and start doing things differently until we act differently, um, then we're going to always experience these types of relationships. So relationship type number two is the opposite of number one. Now I'm talking to you now. So your your partner cares more about you than you do about him or about her, okay? This is when you are the, the one uh, in the relationship that's not uh, emotionally connected um, to the relationship. Um, uh, these are uh, relationships that, um, you know, sometimes you you know, getting more from the relationship. You have your reasons for being in these relationships. You know, um, you're in the relationship, but you know, deep in your heart, you're not connect, you're not committed to the relationship. You know, you are not loving your the other person uh, the way that they're loving you. You have no desire. To do it again, it's out of balance, you know, and uh, there are several reasons why 
a person gets involved in a relationship where they are being loved more than they are giving love in the relationship. It, it could be because you're protecting your yourself emotionally. Maybe you've been hurt, you know, in a relationship, deeply hurt by someone, you know, that you really loved in that relationship, and you know, maybe you made um, a conscious or unconscious decision that, you know, I'm never going to get hurt like this again. And so what you do is you find partners, you know, that that uh, partners you don't love that much. And so you decide to leave. When you decide to leave the relationship, it's no big deal because you already went into the relationship having said, I'm not going to get hurt again. So a part of that means I'm not going to become attached to you. So when you leave that relationship, the person might be hurt, but it doesn't really bother you because you, you already set it up like that. All right, you also may be punishing, uh, let's say, one of your parents. You know, again, it all goes back to childhood in some, in a lot of life scenarios. You know, um, let's say um, you were not loved by one or both of your parents, you know, or you felt criticized a lot or rejected by them. Then you might attract someone into your life um, that um, where you can um, uh, treat them as your parents treated you. Okay, so they were they were criticizing, so now you attract someone into your life who you can criticize. People who do that, they do it on purpose. Believe it or not, they do it on purpose. And there's always a deep seated wound in their emotions somewhere when they do when they uh get involved with someone like this. They set it up like this. They go out, it's just like um similar to not I'm not gonna say just like um um it's similar to um a man who is uh, who physically abuses women. That man is not looking for a, a strong woman, someone who will um, retaliate or fight him back. He's not looking for someone who will stand up to him. He's not looking for someone who will call the cops and, and actually press charges. He's not looking for that. He's looking for someone who has low self-esteem, who wants to be loved, and he can pl- he can prey on that and play on it and set the person up for every physical harm that he's going to bring to her. He conditions her to be in position in his life, in a relationship with him, so that he can do it. It's the same thing when your partner, when you pick somebody because you were um, – criticized, controlled, um, emotionally um, abused um, by your parents or someone else. We're going to just stick with by your parents. You will pick someone who you can turn around and do those things to. So we'll always be somebody who has low self-esteem, who may be hungry for a relationship, you know, who wants to, uh, who's hungry for um, a love relationship, you know, and they, and they want to be uh, connected to someone. And what happens is you end up, uh, getting involved with them, and they innocent, an innocent person now becomes the, the, the dart, I mean, the, the, uh, the board that you're throwing the fiery darts at because of what happened to you. You found someone else who you can um, do it to. So you're punishing uh, one, or more, one or both of your parents, you know. And then you also have a need to be in control. And so that's why you get involved with relationships where people, where that person loves you more than you love that person or committed to the relationship more than you. It's because you want to be in control. You know, it's a false sense of power, you know, at somebody else's expense, you know, to cover up your own uh, deep sense of uh, powerlessness. The other person pays a heavy price for you being emotionally unhealthy, you know, but you, if you're in this place, um, don't see it that way. Uh, all you know is that you're angry. You're um, 
deeply wounded, you're hurt. There's no rationale behind what you're doing. There's only a reason why you're doing it, you know, because basically you really can't rationale crazy. So um, there's no rationale behind what you're doing. There's a deep-seated hurt behind what you're doing uh, because if there was a rationale behind it, you would pay attention to the harm that you're bringing to someone else's life. And then you will get the help that you needed. So people who are like this, they want to be, um, they they want to be in, uh, have a need uh, to be in control, um, and then um, they want to just act out. I mean, you know, they want to take on a role whether whether they are the ones that's like the the, um, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, if one of your parents uh, pursued the other one. And more, like if your mom was pursuing your father, let's say um, he uh, he wasn't uh, at home a lot, and she kept you know pursuing him and wanting him to come connect to the family, come be with the family, you know, or your dad was doing it because now you have women doing that, you know, honey, you need to spend time with us, you need to spend time with the family, you know, if it was if it was a situation like that, um, you'll end up choosing someone who loves less rather than the one who loves more, so. Now you're back in the same scenario, but you're experiencing it firsthand. You know, so when you're in a relationship like this, you're never truly going to be satisfied. You know, because you're not giving your heart completely. It's unfair for you to want to be loved in a relationship, but you don't want to show love in the relationship. That really is unfair to the relationship, and that's what makes it out of balance. So. The second type of relationship is when you, uh, your partner cares more about you than you care about him. Now, this next one, <laughs> number three, um, you may know someone like this. Um, I've, I see it a lot, and it is, it's really um, certainly unhealthy and it's unfair. You know, um, you are in love with your partner's potential, not the person but the partner's your partner's potential, what the person can become, all right? You're in love with that. You aren't in love with who they actually are. You're in love with who you hope they will become, all right? Um, we talked about um, yesterday, don't bring home another project, and I talked to you about it from um, people who have just some uh, character flaws going on in their lives. There's also this project. This is another project, but this is a project where um, this is not really a relationship. It's a project to you. You see their potential. You you hope they're going to become, um, you know, a CEO of the company. You hope you're going to become an elect engineer. Hope they're going to become a politician in front of everybody. You know, um, they're going to become um, a lawyer. You see the potential. You know where they're headed. And so you're not connected to the person. You are connected to their potential. And usually with these types of relationships, they are highly addictive because you get hooked um, into what you wish would happen, and then it becomes hard to break away, you know, because you're looking at what you want them to become and not the person. And it really is devastating if they figure out what, you know, that you are uh, connected to them because of their potential. If they're smart, they'll end the relationship, and it's devastating to you. And so here's how you can tell if you are in love with your partner's potential. Number one, you tell yourself that your partner needs, uh, your partner just needs a little bit more time to get himself together or to get his life together or her life together. You know, you are, you see what it is that they're going to become. It's so all they just need a little bit more time to get it together. You know, they're in law school, and so, um, uh, you're just waiting, and that's what you tell. You say they just—they're almost finished. 
uh, he's going to he's going to be finished with law school in just in 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 uh, one semester. He's going to finish with it. All right. You feel that um, everyone else misunderstands and um, underestimates your partner, and that only you know the real person inside him or her. You know they're telling you, hey, you know, listen, slow down, don't go so fast. You know she's still in school. Give her a chance to graduate, finish her, um, you know, um, uh, her college degree, or she just got, she just landed that job. Give her a chance, you know, to get her feet wet and get. Uh, you know, situated in the job, and you think because people are telling you, you know, hey, listen, slow down a bit, give that person a chance to get established um, in life. You think they they just don't understand that person because only you know that what their potential is, you know. And so, um, usually, uh, you fall in relationship with people like this when you when you are connected to their potential because again, it comes back to you needing to be in control of it. So. And what that means in this scenario is you're going to be in control of um, trying to improve that person, trying to hurry up and get them into uh, uh, the, the the lifestyle or the potential that you want to see them in. You are going to start feeling like um, uh, you're superior to them, that you only, you're the one that knows what they need to do to actually get to where they want, where you want them to be, even if they have their own life uh, agenda or purpose that they're following. You step in and, you know, hey, he are, you already know he's going to be a lawyer because he's in law school. You know, he has one semester to go. So what happens is you get in and you start interfering with that and you start trying to put your two cents in on what type of lawyer he ought to be. And look, I think you ought to go to this networking event. I think you ought to go um, over here there. You know, I saw that they have a lawyer's meetup. You know, you start getting in the way because you have to be in control because you want to make sure that the potential that you see in this person actually happens. And so you have to be in control because you need to make sure that it works out the way that you want it um, to work out. You know, um, uh, you also get involved um, uh, with this person's life because you avoid getting involved or you avoid your own life. You know, whatever you need whatever you need to be doing in your own life, when you get involved in his or her life, you take the attention off of your life and what and your responsibility to your life is removed because now you're all enmeshed and caught up in their potential and you don't pursue the potential of your own life. All right. So um when you're involved in this type of uh relationship uh, the key is feeling satisfied with how your partner is today, not their future. So if you're involved with somebody who has great potential, it's really about the moment. Everything I've said about relationships is about being in uh, the moment. You do not want to try to go into the future, especially by yourself, and the other person is not actively involved in pursuing the future. So when you have a healthy relationship with a person, it means loving that person for who uh, for who they are. It's not about loving them in spite of, uh, you know, or uh, let me say it's not about loving them for the future in spite of what you see for today. You know, it's about the right now moment. You know, who um, is he today? Who is she today? And how do I connect with who they are if the person is healthy? How do I connect? Uh, with this person. See, if you get involved with a person's um, potential, what's going to happen is you're going to end up angry, you know, at them for not becoming who you expected them to be. If you wanted him to be a certain kind of lawyer and he had another agenda and he goes and does something else 
uh, or, or becomes a, a different type of lawyer, you're going to be angry because that's not the plan you had. All right, so you're going to be angry. You're going to turn. You're going to be turned off uh, to them intimately because you know that you you're not connected as uh, a love partner. You're when you find yourself trying to control someone's life, you become a parent to that person. Not a, a you're not in a relationship in a romantic type relationship. You be, you come into this uh, uh, fantasy type parental role that you're in, even though you you say you're in a relationship, your mindset is you have to parent this person because you want to make sure that they reach the potential you want them to reach. And so you're going to end up being bitter, you know, you're going to, because you're going to look at, you wasted a lot of time in a relationship because when they figure out what you're doing, if you're not married, they are going to leave the relationship and you're going to be devastated. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be let down when that happens. So, um, if you're in love with a person's potential and you get into that relationship for that reason, you really are um, uh, taking on a gamble. It may not happen for you exactly like um, you would like for it to happen, so um, don't do that. And then the last one, relationship, I'm going to talk about type this morning, is you're on a rescue mission. You know, it's it's a little similar to uh, a project, but a little different. So you're on a rescue mem- uh, a mission, you know. Do you find yourself feeling sorry for your partner more um, than you like? You know, do you feel responsible for the person get his or her life together? Uh, do you feel afraid that if you leave, um, your partner will fall apart emotionally? That's when you know you're on a rescue mission. You know, if you're feeling that way, the, uh, here's another question that you need to ask yourself. You know, if you find yourself in that type of relationship and you're trying to figure out what to do, you know, uh, when I give you some more um, descriptive of this, but keep this question in mind. You know, what was the person doing before you showed up? You know, if you start feeling like, you know, hey, if I leave this relationship, they're going to emotionally fall apart if I'm not here. You have to look back over that that over that relationship period and say, wait, before I came into this person's life, what state of mind or what state of emotional being was this person in? You know, what do I mean if I leave, they're going to be emotionally devastated? Were they emotionally devastated when you met them? Because if the answer is yes, then you really are on a rescue mission. You know, if they were emotionally strong when you met them, now you have to look over the relationship and find what happened in this relationship that this person is torn up emotionally, and if I leave, they're going to be devastated. Something went on here, you know, but if they were already emotionally uh, distraught, emotionally uh uh, in uh, emotion, had a lot of emotional pain, a lot of emotional baggage before you showed up, and then you feel like you know when I leave they're going to be emotionally devastated. Um, they were already there, so when you feel that way, you are on a um, uh, a rescue mission. You know, um, usually people who are like this, they usually end up getting into relationships with people whom they feel compelled to help rather than to actually be a partner with. You know, you find someone who's, you know, who's wounded, they're fragile, they're unloved, you know, they feel irresistibly drawn um, to you, and then you feel irresistibly drawn to them to actually care for them. Remember what I said on another call, your life is not a, um, a safe house. Your life is not a halfway house. It's not a rehabilitation center. It's not a recovery center. It's not a rescue mission. You're you're going to become exhausted when you do this. You know, you might feel noble in the beginning, but it's draining to be in these types of relationships. You know, 
Um, you are on um, a rescue mission, you know, in a relationship. If you are with someone who has serious emotional, physical, or financial problems, you're on a rescue mission. Be careful. You know, if your partner uh, uh, frequently feels feels like uh, confused, overwhelmed, helpless, or victimized, you know, and it takes you to calm them down, encourage them, console them, you're on a rescue mission. If this relationship you're in is always about some unhealthy feelings that they're having and you have to always come in and be um, uh, the ointment, if you will, to all of their wounded areas, then you're on a rescue mission. You know, if you um, know that your partner has been, you know, let's say mistreated or badly hurt in the past and then you feel obligated to make it up to them, how you're going to make it up? I'm not quite sure how you're going to do that. Feel like you have to make it up. Oh, I'm here to make you feel better. I'm going to treat you better than they treated you. I'm going to. I'm, I'm not going to do that to you. Um, you know, hey, listen, why don't we um, – um, let's take a vacation together. You know, all those when when you feel like you have to make it up, make up what someone else did to them, you're on a rescue mission. You know, if you feel like no one else understands or loves that person like you do and um therefore you just cannot leave this relationship for any reason, then probably you're on a rescue mission. You know, and it's very difficult to end these types of relationships since Basically, you most likely feel like you you're going to be abandoning the partner or hurting them uh, him or her more terribly than than the uh, the past relationship. So you know um, you may want to really take a look at this one. You know, if you're on a rescue mission, you know uh, sometimes subconsciously uh, when you're in these types of relationships, it gives you a sense of feeling um, superior, if you will, uh, than that person, and that's not not a good place to be. And it may also have you have may have you feeling, you know, in control, you know, because you get to control what's going on in this person's life. Again, nobody wants to be connected to a control freak and it's not good to be one. Okay, so any of these uh faulty type uh relationships that I've described this morning are unhealthy. You just really don't need to be in these types of relationships. It's even harder when you're married because there is a um a covenant that is involved. You know, when you're dating somebody, there's a lot of pain that could be, be um, uh, experienced in a dating relationship. But at any given moment, you could just walk away from a, a dating relationship. Might be difficult, maybe hard. You may have to go through a struggle in your healing journal journey. You'll come out on the other end if you do it right. But when you're married to someone, it's a, it's a little bit more difficult. You know, even if it's an abusive type situ marriage. Um, Emotionally, physically, you know, and even some cases in marriages, sexually abusive um, marriage, uh, marital situations, it's a little bit more difficult to kind of get away from uh, uh, these uh, types of relationships, even when you know that you should, because there's a financial investment to get away from, you know, when you're talking about marriage. You know, usually if it does, unfortunately, if it does end up in divorce, you have to get a lawyer. You have to spend money on that. You have to really. Um, force yourself to break emotional ties. You know, you have to go through a, a healing process that can be overwhelming, just going through the healing journey of it because um, it's not just your emotions tied in a marital, in a marriage. It's your, it's your finances. It's your uh, intimacy. It's the uh, uh, 
uh, emotional attachment, the psychological attachment, you know, it's uh, the physical attachment of being involved, all of the material things that maybe you um, invested um, into the marriage. You know, it could be as simple as just buying furniture, you know, for the home. Anything that you did in the marriage um, it's an investment, and usually when you're in these types of situations and you're in and you're married to this, it's really difficult to make the decision on leaving or if you should leave. It's even more difficult at times to even pray to stay. You know, you have to really be emotionally strong um, if you find yourself if your marital situation is like this. You have to be spiritually and emotionally strong. You will need a counselor. Uh, whether that's your pastor or somebody on staff at the church or whatever that's a uh, that's trained to counsel, because you're going to need some really good wisdom to follow or to to uh, be spoken into your life to apply to your life, because it's a little different. You can't. I mean, you know, you have people who have walked away from um, marriages, but if you have any type of decency, if you will, and your life is not threatened, um, it's kind of difficult to walk away from a marriage just to turn your back on it because you made a covenant and you want to put a hundred percent into making it work. But there are times when it just doesn't because the other person doesn't want to do make the same investment or they're playing with your emotions in it and they're they're wishy washy going back and forth. And so now you're even more confused. But in a dating relationship it's it's a little easier to break away uh from a dating relationship if you're in one of these um types of scenarios. And one that I didn't mention um, that before we go out, I'll mention to you so that you can make sure that you um, don't find yourself in this either, uh, is that when you look up to your partner as a role model, you know, when you're dating or when you're, you know, in a, a love relationship with someone, if you're married or when you're dating, you know, you want this to be a romantic type thing. You don't want this person to be your role model. You're not trying to date a role model or try or be married uh, uh, to a role model because what happens is you end up putting that person on a pedestal. And the minute that they do something that you don't like or they hurt you in any way and it's really painful, then then you're angry and they have to then you knock them down off of that pedestal that you put them on. So you don't want to be in a, a relationship where you're putting your uh, the, per, the other person on a pedestal. When you fall in love with someone, you want you want um, that person to be who God created them to be. You want a normal relationship. You don't want to feel like you're dating your role model, you know, or you're married to your role model. You want to be married to the man that God chose for you and he went from just being an everyday man to becoming your husband. You want to be married to the woman that God chose for you, and she went from uh, an everyday woman to now becoming your wife. You know, if you're in a dating relationship, you don't want to date a role model. You want to date just a normal, everyday, godly person who can bring fulfillment, in our, or not for, when I say fulfillment, I don't mean like filling a void, who can bring um, fulfillment in the area of joy, some peace, some happiness um, to your life, um, in addition to what you're already experiencing, not a lack of, but what you're already experiencing. So you want to make sure that when you're involved with someone or in a relationship, that there's an even playing field going on. 
You don't want to feel superior to them, and you don't want to feel like they're superior to you. We're we're both equally involved in this relationship. Even if I know a little bit more than you in a, in a particular subject area, you may know more than me uh, in another area, or no, may you may know more about something than I do. Uh, but that doesn't make me better than or superior to you. It just makes me more knowledgeable in that particular area or makes you more knowledgeable in that particular area. You want to feel um, confident in your relationships. You don't want to be confused. Um, you don't want to be used in relationships. You don't want to be abused in relationships. You want to feel confident. You want to be happy. You want the journey, uh, journey's experience to be um, a really great one. Especially if you're dating, every every person that you date, you already know you can't marry every person that you date. So there are some dating relationships um, that you will engage in that should actually just really empower you. You know, in dating relationships, you can learn how to communicate with the, the opposite sex. You can learn how to, um, you know, um, be involved with someone and not fall into one of these categories. How do I have just a healthy friendship or a relationship with someone? You can build yourself emotionally when you're when you're engaged in a, a healthy dating relationship. Take advantage of that. You know, every re- dating relationship will not end in marriage, but if it does end, if you're godly, it should be a, a smooth transition. You know, it shouldn't be fussing and fighting and throwing things at each other. It didn't work. You know, hey, you you know, hey, look, we we're good at being friends, but we can't go past that. You know, there are some things you can discover about yourself in a dating relationship, and that you can discover about relationships and learn a lot. You know, in in relationships. You know, if you um are like me, I haven't dated a whole lot, um, but if you've ever been on a <laughs> in a dating relationship with someone who let's say was immature or who behaved a certain way in public that's just not appropriate for you. Well, you know, even three or four dates with someone, you can learn a lesson. You can say, hey, listen, I'm not interested in going out on a date with a man who's loud and brash. I'm just not down with that. You know, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm looking for. You know, so there are learning moments in dating relationships. So don't date because you're feeling lonely or don't date because you um um, I want to get married. You know, you just you know, you just uh, hungry for to to get married. Wanting to be married is okay. It's when you pursue it, um, you know, as a, as um, as an appetite, like you're just hungry. Just gotta have it. Just gotta have it right now. Gotta get married right now. That's when it's dangerous because you're gonna end up with whoever chooses to marry you right now, and not necessarily with the one that God has. Uh, chosen for you. I know some people in that situation right now, and it's a, it's a horrible situation because when that person um, who had that appetite, I just want to get married, I just want to get married, when that appetite wears off and all of the newness, you know, I'm going to call it the new marriage smell, like the new baby smell, when that, when that new marriage smell wears off, when uh, the wedding's over, when the gifts have been all open, when the showers, everybody they had all the showers you're going to have, when they've had the first baby or two, you know, um, when all of that wears down, they're going to wake up one day and they're going to realize 
they're not with who they really would like to be with. They just went through the motions of doing something because maybe their friends were, were doing it. Then you're going to have a problem on your hand because whoever that person was that was hungry to get married, when they lose that appetite, they're also going to want to lose the marriage. They want out of the marriage. They're going to come up with all kind of reasons why they cannot stay in the marriage. That lasts them. Usually in those situations, it's anywhere from three to five years when somebody wakes up and says, um, I don't want any part of this. you know. And when you go back over the whole scenario from the dating all the way up until the five or six years later, there will be warning signs all the way from the dating relationship that the other person just overlooked, minimized, didn't pay attention to. And now they're about to be devastated because they made an investment into it and they didn't pay attention to the red flags or the warning signs of the relationship or they ignored them and didn't take them seriously. Now they're about to go into a situation that's even more damaging, a divorce or a separation that's even more damaging because you want to leave and I really put everything into this marriage. And now they're saying, hey, look, I got everything I wanted. I don't want anything from this. You know, I had a game plan. I don't play the game. It's done. I'm out. And they literally mean what they say, and they get out. So keep those, keep these things in mind. If you are uh, in the helping profession, please, I hope you took notes because you'll be able to help someone with this information. If you are interceding um, for someone, I call you an intercessor. If you know somebody or people who are in these types of scenarios, you've now gained some knowledge where when you sit down and have coffee with them, you can talk about these things, and you can talk about how, they can do better, that they don't have to succumb to uh, this particular type, these types of relationships. They can get healed and they can have wholesome, healthy relationships, enjoy their the rest of their lives, you know, go on and get married, you know, um, and really enjoy their, li- enjoy their lives. And so um, please pass the information on uh, to someone. So I want to thank you for joining me this morning. Um, uh, the time changed a little bit uh, because I now – Today, I have to go to a lunch and learn um, here in the city, so I had to move it up a little bit. Um, I had to move it to 10. So our next call is at 1.30. Um, I thank you so much for joining me. I'm in a- Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. I am Minister Ginger London. Uh, I am your host for the 2014 Gotta Get Myself Together teleconference where we're doing 22 days of maximizing ministry, business, and life. And as you know, this is uh, call number two for day 16, and we're dealing with relationships that won't work. This is part two. We're going to focus on today some compatibility time bombs, and um, we're going to, if time permits, I'll go over some uh, relationship red flags for you, but um, if you were with us earlier uh, today, you know about um, the relationships that won't work, those that are toxic for us, and so we're going to look at some uh, compatib- compatibility time bombs, these things that um, are in the forefront of the relationship, and if you don't think about it and you don't put them, uh, consi- consider um, how they'll impact your life or influence your life or the relationship, they can actually be detriment, detrimental uh, to the relationship. And so we're going to get started with prayer, and we're going to move right into it because I know your time is valuable, and I want to make sure that um, uh, we spend the time wisely. So let's pray, and we're going to get right into it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you on this afternoon. We bless your name, O oh God, because you're an awesome God. We know, Father God, that you are a creator 
of everything, including us. And we know and believe that you created us uh, for a love relationship with you, and then a relationship with one another. And we thank you for the opportunity to have relationships with one another. Now, Father, teach us how to do this in a godly way and uh, how to use your wisdom in relationships. Uh, we believe by faith that it is done and that we are open to learn and hear what you are saying to us on today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So once again, we're going to be talking about um compatibility uh, time bombs, and these are the things that actually, you know, um, can actually cause some serious um, destruction to a relationship if you don't consider them um, prior to getting into the relationship. So the first one is um, a significant age difference. No, I'm, So I'm not talking about four or five years difference, four or five years older, four or five years younger. I'm talking about for example, if you're 58 and the person that you're in a relationship with is 32, that is a big age difference. Or if you um, are someone who is uh, 39, maybe, and the person you're in a relationship with is 26, that's a big age difference. There's going to be something uh, that's different in your lives because there's such a big gap in the number of years that the younger person has been here as well as the number of years that the older person has actually been in the earth to experience more things. So it can cause some serious problems in relationships. So when we think about um, uh, significance, if we look at that word significant, what does it mean? You know, what I'm talking about here is if your partner is 10 or more years older or younger than you, it will cause some difficulties depending on your ages and on the, and other aspects of your personality. All right. So if you are in a relationship where the other person is older, in the uh, if, well, let me back up. If you're the older person in the relationship, here are several things that can happen in that relationship. Number one, you can become very impatient with the person you're in the relationship with, the younger person in the relationship with. Why? Because you are significantly older than that person. You may begin to lose patience with them because of their level of immaturity, because of their lack of life experience and learning, uh, the learning process of life, you know, because you've already gone through it. You know, you've learned certain things. So you've learned how to, say, take charge of your life or ask for what you want. You know, you realize it's not the end of the world when you go through a crisis or you've made mistakes and you figured out how to do things the right way. So it's not easy when you're watching your partner, if you will, who's younger than you, actually stumble through the same life experiences that you've already accomplished. And so whenever you're the older person in the relationship, if you're not careful, you can become impatient. Um with the other person because you've already done that. You've already been through that, all right? Then secondly, you have a tendency to act like a parent to the other person. Why? Because you've already done those things and you've already been through those um, life experiences. And so what will happen is you'll start giving them advice. You'll start correcting them. You'll start directing him or her. You know, you've um, uh, been through it before, and so you'll tell them that you know the best way to do it. Um, your intentions will be loving and um and and very uh full of concern, and you'll only be trying to help the person, but the effect can be very destructive you know once you begin to act like a parent in a relationship and start treating your partner like a child, it's going to create some issues you know um they're going to turn around and say, "Hey, I know you're older than me, but i'm I'm you know hey, I'm an adult too, I'm in this relationship with you, and you knew that before you got involved with me so 
Number one, you become impatient with the person. Number two, you have a tendency to act like a parent to the person, to the person. You know, that's when you're the older person in the relationship. And then number three, um, you may um, be much more financially successful than the younger person in the relationship. I mean, you've, you've lived many more years. You've had a number of years to actually to accumulate um, your wealth or to become financially uh, stable. You know, you built up your income. You purchased property. You have other possessions that you, you know, that you purchase. And so when you're financially um, more stable, it can actually create some tension between you and the partner in a number of ways. You may feel resentful about, you know, uh, being the one who provides more in the relationship. You know, you're always the one paying for dinner. You're always the one buying expensive gifts. You're always the one paying um, for um, trips that you may go on, you know. So especially uh, you'll become resentful if you're an, uh, the woman, the older woman, uh, in the relationship, you know, because you uh, may feel like you should make the important decisions, you know, what you want to spend, where you um, uh, where you want to live, what kind of vacation you need to take, because in your mind as a woman, you know what you're saying, it's my money, you know, so, and your partner might feel like, you know, that it's not fair that you have that mindset, but remember on another call, I said it's very important to learn the differences between men and women, when you're talking about relationships, so you may have you may find it uh, difficult lowering your standards of living to accommodate um, your um, partners or or even if you're married to someone who's much younger, you still might um, find it difficult to lower your standards because you're not used to going back to the beginning of building your finances. Your finances are stable. You've ac- accumulated uh, some monies and possessions and property and all of those things, and they're just getting to that place where they have, you know, maybe they're beginning uh, to accumulate that. So number three, you may be much more financially successful than your partner. Um, And then number four, you may be tempted to control your partner because you hold more of the power in the relationship simply because you're just that much older in the relationship. So you want to make sure that you consider all of these because these issues will come up when you're the older person, when you're 10, 20, 23 years older than the person that you're dating or married to, these issues are going to come up, all right? And so if you're the younger person in the relationship, so let's look at it from a from a from the other side of this. If you're the younger person, uh, you may have a tendency to put your partner on a pedestal and give, and give your power over uh, to him or her because of your age. You know why? Because they're, they're people who are much younger are usually more immature um, than someone who's older. You know they they're usually influenced, you know, uh, 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 in a great way. But you know, when you allow yourself to feel less important because, let's say, your mate is older than you, your the person you're dating is much older than you, and you'll give up your power. And it goes back to self-esteem. It goes back to what your self-worth is. How do you, you know, how do you see yourself? But if you are 23, let's be realistic. If you're 23, you're not ready for a relationship with somebody who is 45, 47, 49, 50 years old. You're not ready for that. No matter how matured for your age uh, somebody tells you that you are or you think that you are, when somebody has a 20 or 25, 30-year um, gap on you, that's a lot of years of experience that you have not even begun to tap into yet. 
you're not going to have a good relationship when you're 30 years old and you're trying to date somebody 60, you know, somebody 55, somebody 59, you know. It's just not going to work. It's too big of a gap in the in the age difference. I mean, that's a lot of years. You know, if, if you if you are, um, let's say, 20, and the person that you're dating or, or wanting to date or even want to marry is 40, 45, that's a 25-year gap on you that that person has. That's 25 years, 365 days a year that they lived on the earth and experienced life before you even got here. So, you know, so it's very important that you pay attention to those things. So if you're the younger person in a relationship, you may have a tendency to turn your power over to that older person and put them on a pedestal. They probably would, you know, you probably feel um you know, like you're special, and you you are special. But when an older person approaches somebody who's 20-something years old, 23, 24, 25, they're not matured um, yet. They haven't even figured out to some degree what what they're going to do with the rest of their lives. You know, they have a tendency to think, oh, an older guy is interested in me or an older woman is interested in me. You know, and so they automatically try to to, uh, become instantly matured, for a relationship, you know, not realizing it's so much more that they don't know, uh, but they're going to find out in the relationship. So, number one, you may put the partner on a pedestal if you're the younger one. Also, if you're the younger one, um, you may um, set your partner up to be like the parent. You know, it, it could be unknowingly or subconsciously, but you know, you're going to want them at some some point, they're going to start giving you, you know, you're setting them up to be the parent because you're going to have to always go to them for advice. You know, you're going to have to continuously ask them to help you. You have to depend on them for money. You have to use, you know, um, that person's connections to your advantages. You know, maybe trying to get a job, open doors, you know, um, do things, find somebody who can help you do something. Um, you're full, you will uh, allow them to make um, decisions for you. Um, you know, and just in essence, you'll actually just behave like a child. It's just going to be almost natural-like because of the, the age difference that you're actually going to do that. All right, and then number three, if you're the younger person, you may be tempted to compromise or sacrifice your interests, your friends, and activities to appear more compatible with your partner. Now, you're 25 years old. The person that you're married to or dating is 45 years old. What's going to happen is you're going to have a tendency to um, uh, to neglect your 25-year-old friends. You're, you're going to compromise any activities that you guys usually like to do together. Instead, you're going to go do what your partner wants to do, you know. Um, and what's going to happen is um, you're going to have to really – do a self-evaluation and ask yourself in these types of relationships, you know, does my partner respect me? Does my partner treat me as an equal? Do I feel like an equal with my partner? Because if you can't answer those three questions, then probably you're not being uh, treated as an equal. And especially when you have to uh, give up um, your friends, give up some of your family members, you know, just to feel like you're compatible with that person. That's why it's very um important to to really um, try to stay within a certain, uh, if you're dating, within a certain range of your age. You know, if you go too far over, you're not ready for that person. Because when you're 20-something and you're dating a 45, 46, 50-year-old person, at some point in that relationship, that person is going to want you 
uh, will be wanting you to and will be expecting you to act like you're the same age that he or she is. I expect you to know how to manage your money. You know, it starts off okay with all cute. You know, he's interested in you, she's interested in you. But when the rubber meets the road, that person is going to want you to really get into the relationship and be in the relationship not like a 20-something-year-old, but in the relationship like a 40-something-year-old. They're, they're going to forget to some degree that you don't have um, the number of years of life experience since that they may have and that you don't have the financial stability that he or she may have and all those different things, but they're going to still want you to act like you do, period. And so then you're going to become frustrated because you don't have it and you're not going to know how to act in those situations, all right? Um, another toxic time compatibility time bomb um, is toxic in-laws or toxic family members, if you will. In-laws if you're married, family members if you're dating. It comes out to be the exact same thing. You know, um, if, you, if, if you're in, dealing with toxic in-laws, you'll find yourself you know, saying things like this, my mother-in-law is driving me crazy. My father-in-law is driving me crazy. She calls my husband 10 times a day and criticizes me every time we were together. There are a lot of people that experience toxic in-laws. You know, um, uh, why won't my husband stop rescuing his mother, you know, or why don't he stop rescuing his brother or his sister? It could be any family member, you know, but um, they're toxic um, the word toxic comes from a Greek word that means toxicon, or it means talking about toxic in-laws. You're talking about poison uh, that comes into the relationship, all right, because poison is something that harms whatever it comes into contact with. So uh, a toxic in-law is a parent of, uh, of your spouse, or it could be a, another in-law member uh, of the family who, um, whose contact with you is harmful to your happiness in your relationship. That's just a bottom line. And a lot of people have learned over the years to be toxic in-laws, you know, uh, um, toxic um, sister-in-laws, toxic brother-in-laws, toxic mother-in-laws, father-in-laws. They've learned it. They, you know, the, the minute you got married, there's nothing wrong with you. In their minds or over the years, they've learned that in-laws should not get along with the person that you're, the, the child married, which is, is ludicrous. It's crazy. You, you see people today doing more, putting forth, putting forth um, a much, um, much more effort um, to get along as family members, especially when somebody uh, marries into the family, even if it's somebody that you didn't even approve of. People today, uh, to, to a large degree, even go out of their way to even make that person who they think is, is not a good fit for their loved one they will go out of their way to make that person feel welcome into the family. They go out of their way to make them feel um, uh, received in the family. Unfortunately, if it does turn out that that person was not a good fit, it doesn't end too well. But even today, people are going a little bit further in trying to make sure that all relationships are as, as cohesive as possibly or as much as possible. Because you know the Word of God says to live peaceably with all men as much as you can. Okay, so uh, let's talk about some of these toxic um uh, in-laws, you know, um, usually when you're dealing with a toxic in-law, you may not know much about them until the, until you are a part of the family or until you start dating on a consistent basis, you know, um, and then it's usually kind of late <laughs> in the relationship when, when you really discover that they're toxic, toxic you know, and, and if the person that you're dating or the person that you're married to is in denial about his parents or his family members 
or tries to avoid the problem, then you're going to have um, um, some really tough times um, in that relationship because that person sees it differently than you do, and, and they could be standing right there when somebody says something sarcastic to you, and they will play it off and act like the person didn't mean what they said when he or she knows they meant exactly what they said. You know, um, if, if you are dating someone, there are times um, in a relationship when you're dating that uh, you not you may not have been seen necessarily as a threat. But once you got married to the person, everything changed. You know, and then the the real person, the and the uh, pe- the personality starts surfacing. You know, the toxic stuff starts coming up. You know, so let's I'm gonna let you check and see if you have toxic in laws or if you're dating somebody who has toxic family members, if you will. All right. So and when you're around that person, or um, see if you find yourself in any of these statements. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm sharing my partner with my mother or sharing it with um, her father. You know, my in-laws call our house more than anyone else in, in our lives. <laughs> I've seen people like that. Um, my partner and I argue about his parents or her parents at least once a week. You know, do you dread visiting your in-laws? Um, when you're around your in-laws, um, does, um, do you and your partner uh, uh, usually have a fight or almost always have a fight around them? All right. Do you feel... Um, that you'll never be good enough for his family or for her family. Do you feel like that? Do you sometimes fantasize about your in-laws, you know, uh, something happening to them, something bad happening to them? Now, that's dangerous when you're like that because that means too much has gone on. When you start fantasizing about something happening to them, too much has gone on, and you really need to get with your spouse or with the person that you're dating and have a heart-to-heart conversation with that person, all right? about what is actually um, going on. The bottom line with toxic in-laws is that they do not respect the boundaries of your relationship. They don't respect the boundaries of your marriage. They don't respect um, the boundaries between um, um, your spouse and them. The Word of God says, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife and become one. It doesn't mean that you don't have a relationship with your family, but your priority, if you're married, becomes your spouse. If you're in a serious dating relationship, your relationship is very important. And if you can't break ties, and I'm not saying you need to disown your family, but if you can't set boundaries in that dating relationship where your family members are not uh, being mean-spirited, sarcastic, disrespectful, toward the person that you are dating, then you either need to let the relationship go or you need to put your foot down with your family members. No one um, uh, should have to be emotionally abused or uh, uh, emotionally tormented, if you will, just to be in a relationship with you. No, the Emotionally abused or tormented by your family members just to be in a relationship with you. That is unfair to the other person. And most of us know what our family members are like. So if you have toxic family members, you know they're toxic. You know, and so when you're, if, you, if you start dating someone, you need to let them know up front, I have toxic family members. So let me tell you up front, here's how, it, you know, look, here's how this is going to go down. I'm going to tell you how he is. Don't say much. Don't say anything. If you run into an issue, call me. I'm coming in the room where you are, and I'm going to get it straight. Or you may have to leave um, your dating relationship, or, uh, you know, have to do a dating relationship apart from your family. No one needs to be subjected to that. If you're in a marriage situation, you will have to talk to your spouse. You have to set some boundaries because if you don't, what will happen is your toxic in-laws 
will actually become time and energy vampires. They will suck the life right out of your relationship. They will literally, literally call your house and, and you know, um, all the time they'll make uh, feeble excuses about, you know, um, why they're calling. They will feel the need to offend you all the time. And if you don't talk to them, then they'll tell you how offended they were because you would not take their call. They'll drain your time by insisting that you constantly see them or constantly talk to them. And then when you talk to them, they want to talk hours at a time. You know, it's natural, you know, for people to, to talk to their family members. But toxic in-laws simply uh, don't let their kids go and they don't respect the autonomous life that they're trying to lead. That means a life apart, you know, disconnected, if you will, not being enmeshed or totally attached to them. You're always going to have your family members here as long as they're on the earth. But when it comes to relationships that you've made a covenant with someone in marriage, you have to set boundaries. And if you're in a serious dating relationship, you have to set boundaries, all right? If you don't, they're going to attempt to interfere in your life. You know, they're going to give you unsolicited advice, you know, on how to raise your children, decorate your house, invest your money, how to choose your wardrobe, and, you know, everything else under the sun that they can come up with, they're going to give you unsolicited advice on it. They don't know uh, the meaning of the phrase, you know, mind your own business, stay out of mind. They, they don't know it. They will interfere on purpose. They will do it on purpose. If you don't um, put some boundaries around your life, they will refuse to acknowledge you and your relationship. And usually when toxic family members get to this point, it is detrimental. When they don't, when they refuse to acknowledge you, uh, you know, it's, it does something to you emotionally, especially if you if you had a relationship with your family before you got married or before you start seriously dating and maybe got engaged, those types of things. When they get to the place where they don't want to acknowledge you or your relationship, it's, it's really, really time to do something. And you're going to know that because they'll do things like um, they'll send, um, let's say, uh, Christmas cards. They'll send Christmas cards or they'll send letters um, uh, to um, your spouse and want to acknowledge you. Or they'll send a, um, something to you and want to acknowledge your spouse if you're married. You know, um, they'll call and they'll ask, um, they'll call the house or call you wherever you live and they'll talk to your spouse and they won't talk to you. You know, or they'll do the opposite. They'll call and talk to you, won't even ask you how your spouse is doing. Um those kinds of things, you know, they will treat your children as if they uh, belong to um, just your spouse and not you, you know, when they don't like you. Or, I mean, it's so much that they do. So, you know, they'll criticize you in front of your children and think nothing of it. When We're talking about people who are poisonous to the happiness of your relationship or to the healthy state of your relationship. So they will not acknowledge you. And then one of the last things that they'll do is they will attempt to drive a wedge between you and your spouse or between you and the person that you are engaged to, you and the person that you're dating. You know, um, and what they'll do is they will say things when you are not around to your spouse to make your spouse think that there's something that either you are saying or doing, you know, and they will create a um, the person to become suspect of you, you know, and then before you know it, uh, there's a lot of tension involved, there's a lot of uh, um, uh, suspiciousness going on, questioning, 
um, telling you what the what the family member said, then they start asking you stuff like, "Why can't you just get along with my mother?" Now they don't acknowledge that mom is creating some problems here, or that she's overstepped her boundaries. They're not saying that. They want to know why you can't get along with their mother. Okay, all I ask you uh, is that you be nice to her. Now they're not saying that they're telling mom to be nice to you. They want you to go out of your way to be nice to mom, to the toxic in-law, okay, or to the uh, be nice to the father, you know. Um, or they'll do something like, well, you know, I refuse to get in the middle of that. Y'all grown. Why don't the two of you all work that out? Really? Okay. Your mom doesn't like me, and you think that we're going to get together and work this out without your intervention in this, without you, without you being a part of the working out. Uh, it usually doesn't happen, you know. It just it just doesn't happen without somebody else being like a mediator in in that thing. So um, it, you have to be very careful. So pay attention um, to those toxic in laws. Um, another toxic person that'll show up in a relationship is a, a toxic um, ex girlfriend, toxic ex boyfriend, as well as a toxic um, ex spouse. Now, usually they don't respect the boundaries at all. In, uh, especially if you're married to a person that they used to be married to, they do not ex- they do not respect the boundaries of, of the re- the relationship that you have with their ex. They don't respect it at all. You know they have behaviors uh, that are just unbelievable. You know they don't respect your privacy. Um, they use guilt on your spouse uh, to try to drive a wedge between the two of you. They become they also become time and energy vampires. They don't acknowledge the relationship at all, especially if they're bitter and angry. You know, especially if the person you're married to is the one that is, you know left um, the relation. You know, was the one that actually divorced the other person, um, and they felt like that. You know, they should still be married. You know, um, sometimes they financially blackmail um, your spouse. You know, uh, by threatening to ask for more money if they're paying um, child support of any kind, you know, uh, and that's their way of punishing him uh, for being with you, or they will um, uh, emotionally blackmail um, your spouse by threatening to ask for uh, custody of the children, or they'll emotionally uh, um, blackmail them by uh, threatening to tell maybe some of their deep, darkest secrets when they were married to them. It's a lot of things that the, the ex-spouses do. That's just bizarre. You know, um, they will uh, come on to your uh, spouse um, in a sexual way, trying to interfere with the relationship. You know, you may not be around or they may call and uh, and just totally disrespect the relationship and, uh, and say, you know, oh, I miss you. You know, um, I, remember, I was just sitting there thinking about when we were married and when we were together, and I just really missed that. And I just was thinking about how you used to hold me. They do some bizarre things. There are even ex-girlfriends and ex-boyfriends that do bizarre things. I'm talking from a dating uh, uh, position situation now. They do the same things. They do exactly the same thing. The only difference is you weren't married to the person. But if you had a child by somebody for another guy and you get involved in a relationship, be prepared. If that guy is unstable, if he's emotionally uh, insecure, if he's not uh, matured, he's going to do some bizarre things to try to drive a wedge between you and the new relationship. You know, if you are a guy and uh, you were in a relationship with someone, whether she had a child or not, 
be prepared. If she's emotionally unstable, she's going to try to pull something. She's going to do something to try to drive a wedge between the relationship, try to get you to break it off with the person. And then she's going to say, see, I told you I was the best person for you. That didn't work. I don't know why you went over there. I don't know why you broke up with me. You know, those are like fatal attraction kind of folks. You know, those toxic ex-spouses, ex-girlfriends, ex-boyfriends, they are seriously dangerous. You know, sometimes we laugh about, we see movies and, you know, things, and we kind of laugh our way through it. But when you know somebody who's experiencing it for real, it's a dangerous situation um, to be in. It's emotionally uh, draining, you know. So if you are involved with someone who has, like, a, tech, a toxic um, ex-spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend, um, it's normal for you to be angry, you know, when they seem to be more concerned about the ex's feelings than about yours. It's normal for you to feel angry. That's what that will happen. You you're going to feel angry because they are going to try everything under the sun to get in the way. It's normal for you to be angry. The person might accuse you of being jealous. It's really not jealousy. It's just that you haven't set boundaries. You haven't you have not built a hedge of protection around this relationship. Whether it's whether it's on the male part or the female part, somebody needs to build a hedge of protection, a boundary around the relationship that says. If I have the uh, psychotic ex-boyfriend, uh, then it's my responsibility to to, to uh, say what the limitations are, and I need to, as much as possible, to totally disconnect from the guy who, my ex, who's crazy, you know. Uh, and if it's a guy, it doesn't matter. So you have to put the boundaries around the relationship. It's normal for you to uh, feel frightened that it might get worse over time if you're dealing with somebody psychotic. You know, if they're knocking on doors, banging on windows, John, come out of there. I want to talk to you. You know, when you find psychotic type um, people like that who are ex-spouses, ex-girlfriends, ex-boyfriends, it's okay if you're a little frightened, you know, when they do things. like They don't just do it. They don't just come to somebody's apartment or go over to somebody's house and do it. They, they sometimes stalk them. They show up at restaurants when you least expect it, you know, and they start cutting up. They're in a the parking lot of, of, uh, in somebody's Walmart or somewhere, you know, in somebody's open parking lot, you know, just acting crazy. You know, they're parked outside the uh, house in the street waiting on somebody to come outside so they can jump out the car and run up to you and, and start, you know, saying all kind of crazy things. So it's, it's okay to feel frustrated. It's okay to feel a little frightened at times. It depends on who you're dealing with. It's also okay to be impatient with um, your spouses or your ex uh, or your current boyfriend when they make excuses or girlfriend excuses um, about, um, you know, why that person is doing what they're doing. When they start making excuses for them, you can feel a, you can become a little impatient with that. You know, there there are no excuses for this type of behavior. There's there are no excuses for trying to come into. Uh, this marriage or this relationship and drive a wedge between us so that this will fail just because it didn't work. The relationship you have with that person didn't work. Now they're on a manhunt to destroy this, on a witch hunt rather, to destroy this relationship. All right. And if you're, uh, the person that you're in a relationship with doesn't do something soon, and you know, uh, you're going to eventually feel resentful uh, that your person, that your partner is never um, uh uh, does anything to set the boundaries, you know, or uh, if they like, if they have to go pick up children, or if they have to um, uh, do anything, 
you know, that they'll leave you at the house or they'll tell you, oh, hey, I'm going to come by and get you out there. I go uh, take this over to uh, drop this off to my kids, you know. Then you, you're going to eventually become resentful because you know what? Rather than you put a boundary and set some, some boundaries, then what will happen is you leave me out of the picture until you go do that, and then you want to come back and get together with me. You know, then we can go do whatever we're going to do. Um, as I was talking, what came to mind was, um, do you remember the movie, um, what was it? I think it was Tyler Perry's movie, Why Did I Get Married, the very first one. And um, Angela, and I can't think of the guy's name, who her husband was, Marcus, Angela Marcus. Okay, remember there was a scene in that movie, if you saw it, you know, where, you know, um, she would show up at Angela's uh, beauty salon out of nowhere looking for the Marcus, trying to know a name, you know, looking for Marcus with an attitude and everything. There are times when then they would get in the car. They went over to uh, to pick the kids up or to drop the kids off or something, and she comes outside. Then Angela gets out the car, and then it just goes just bizarre. It was just haywire. That's what I'm talking about. That's toxic right there is when you have those type of episodes in your life when you're with somebody and that person, you know, has a toxic um ex-spouse or ex-girlfriend is just bizarre how some of that can turn out for you. It is You really have to watch yourself um, when you're in that type of uh, relationship because it is not good. Another um, compatibility bomb is um, long-distance relationships. And it's not really a, um, a whole lot that needs to be said about long-distance relationships. You if you're matured and you, you've had relationships before, you know, especially if you had a long-distance one relationship before, you know, you don't really get to see your partner, um, what your partner is really like when it's a long-distance relationship, you know, uh, unless it was somebody you had a three-year, two-year, three-year relationship and they got their job moved them and your intent is to go wherever that person is, you know, because you guys got a strong, solid uh, relationship and marriage is on the table and at some, you know, you have to relocate and all that kind of stuff. That's a little different. But if you're dating somebody in a long-distance relationship, you don't get to see what that person is really like. You know, if you, you know that, you know, out of a month, you're only spending three days with that person or you're spending three days, you know, every three months uh, with that person, you're really not going to be able to discern what kind of personality they have. You know, um, it's, it's just too much. You, you know, and talking by phone is not enough. You know, you have to sit down and look at a person, watch their uh, behavior, their um, body language, you know, see them in public, you know, how they act, you know, go places with them to really get to learn, to know and learn somebody. You know, when you're dealing um, with uh, long-distance relationships, you know, you really don't deal with problems in a long, you know, you really kind of avoid them. You know, the distance separates you. You know, you can't do it. You um, uh, uh, have some uh, maybe brief and intense moments. You know, maybe while you're talking on the phone, but basically, you don't, you really don't get to solve problems in a long distance relationship because it's really that's just not the way to deal with it. And then sometimes when you're dealing with a long distance relationship, you have an unrealistic view about your compatibility. Are we really right for each other? You know, sometimes you're fantasizing and you, you know, romanticizing about this long, you know, long distance relationship, but you really don't know. Um, how much you have in common because you're really uh, too busy, uh, too far apart and maybe too busy uh, with your own life wherever you are and he, and he or she is wherever they are and they're dealing with doing their lives there when you're not talking by phone. So, you know, it's really difficult. You know, it can work. Absolutely it can work. But you have to put a lot of energy 
into making a long distance relationship work. Um, it's easier um, to um, make a long distance relationship work when you're not that far apart. Like I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and New Orleans, Louisiana is 96 miles from here, 98 miles, you know, an hour and a half, depending on what part of the city of New Orleans that you're going to. That's a little different because you might just take weekend trips, you know, down there. Or that person, you know, I, I got the, fir- the first and the third weekend. I'll be in New Orleans and the second and fourth weekends you need to come here. And maybe you could take your vacation, you know, in, in New Orleans or do go and do something there or that person can do the same thing. But if I'm living in Louisiana and the person that I'm trying to connect with or be in a relationship with is living in California, that's really kind of unrealistic. You know, that's, I'm not going to hop on a plane every first and second or every first and third weekend flying to California, Los Angeles, California, trying to be in a relationship with someone. So long-distance relationships can work, but they actually, um, you have to put a lot of effort into it to make it work. You're going to really put a lot of effort into it. Um, Usually, they won't work for you um, if the person that you're involved in a relationship, in that long-distance relationship, wants to keep everything light. If you hear anything, any comments like, well, let's just keep it light, let's just keep it real easy, you know, let's uh, let's just kind of take it kind of breezy, you know those phrases people use. When you start hearing those terms, you need to just go ahead and try to find somebody locally because what they're saying is I'm not going to put the effort in and the necessary energy into making this long distance work. You know, hey, if we hook up, we hook up. You come out here to California, great. Yeah, if I come out there to Louisiana, great. But in the meantime, in between all them long distance trips, you know, and all the time between that, let's just keep it light, then it's not going to work because they're not going to put the necessary um, work in it. They're not going to be deeply uh, committed to it. They're not going to uh, be uh, have an intimate attachment to making the relationship work. It's just a fun thing that they're doing, and as soon as they find someone else that they can connect with, that that they can see every day, every other day, three, four times a week, in in California, they're going to connect with that person. And so be very careful with um, uh, long-distance relationships. Um, If you engage in one, try your best not to fantasize about it and not to romanticize about it until you see if it's really going to work. Establish something in that relationship first. So that's it for me on this afternoon, you guys. Thank you so much for joining me for the afternoon call. This is call number two on day 16. We're almost there. Okay, everybody. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, these two uh, Throwback Thursday shows, relationships that don't, relationships that won't work, parts one and two. I do pray and hope that you have been blessed by the two shows and uh, two audio teachings. And uh, if you needed to, if you need to, please be sure to come back and listen to um, the replay and take more notes. And uh, especially if you are struggling in the area of relationships and uh, if you find yourself uh, repeating um, uh, bad cycles in relationships or making wrong choices in relationships. So it's really important that uh, you um, learn how to move beyond that and move into a more healthier place of relating to others and relating with others. So once again, thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Minister Ginger London, your host. Stay home, stay safe, 
stay in faith. God bless you.